All right, um, as I was saying, we are going to look at, at two different stories, two different uh, what I would call types, because I think they're, they're stories that are there to teach us a lesson, each of those stories, and, and, and uh, I, we're going to try to look at criminals at the cross. And there, were, there are two specific stories I want to look at this morning, but before we get into that, I want to talk about God's use of types. You know, you think about all the way back in the Old Testament, uh, God began to use things that, that people, that man could understand concrete examples that we could read about and picture in our minds and through picturing that in our minds we could then compare that to something that's maybe a little bit more abstract or something that we're not quite as familiar with to help us understand that you know like for example the concept of grace that's kind of abstract love especially God's love trying to understand that love and so he used things that are types to try to convey things that are harder for us to get. And so I've just got some examples up here. We remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, and that as Abraham, and Dusty referred to this last week in his lesson, but as Abraham uh, had Isaac there on that, uh, ready to sacrifice him, and he was ready to come down and kill him as God had demanded, commanded him to do, then the hand of God was stayed and his wrath was stayed, and there was a ram that was caught in the thicket, and that took his place. And so, uh, just one example. Another example is uh, we have Moses leading the people of Israel across the Red Sea, and he gets there to the Red Sea, and before it's uh, parted, it looks like they're going to be killed because the Egyptian army is rushing in on them. And then he says, See the salvation of the Lord? And as it's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says they were baptized under the cloud and through the sea. We recognize that that, that Egyptian army was symbolic to us of sin, and that was their baptism or their deliverance from that army or from that sin. And so we can begin to put these things together, and they make great sense to us. Another example is, is the tabernacle. And it, you read through that, and the first thing is you begin to read the story of the tabernacle there in the book of Exodus, and you, you, you start to question, why did God spend all this time explaining all these little details? It's boring and monotonous to read until you begin to put it together and understand that he's telling a story about Jesus that would come some thousands of years later. And if you understand that, it gives you faith because you know that God has had a plan from the outset of man. It's not something that he came up with and, and cobbled together at the last minute, but rather it's part of a divine plan. And so uh, we're going to look at two stories today, the story of Barabbas and then the two thieves on the cross. Now, these are actual events that did happen. So understand that these are not things that the writers made up to tell a story, but there are, these are things that God caused to put into motion that they would occur and the writers would see that and record those things. So there's a difference and so I think uh, God put this together in a way that as we would look at these examples we would have an understanding of, of what he did for us and they really paint they both 
individually and collectively paint, I think, a very beautiful picture of God's grace. So just to, to recap what happened to Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he was taken by the Jewish leaders who were very jealous of Jesus because he had the attention of the people. And that was drawing support and attention from, from the, these leaders. And so they took him and they took him to the Sanhedrin council and they, it was at midnight, it was late at night, and so probably the supporters that Jesus would, had were probably people like Nicodemus, were excluded from that council, but the council decided to condemn him, but it was a sham trial, as you know. Well, the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to have this person put to death, so they couldn't do that. So what they did is they turned Jesus over to the Roman authorities. So they took him to, to uh, the governor there in Judea, and his name was Pilate. And Pilate, as he began to examine the case, could find nothing wrong with Jesus. And so really he thought, there's a way out of this. He's a Galilean, and I happen to know that Herod, who's the governor of Galilee, is here in Jerusalem. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him over to Herod. And so he does. He sends him to Herod. Herod is excited to get to talk to Jesus because he's heard about him. And he wants to, to learn things from him. And he, he's got some issues he likes resolved. But when Jesus gets there, because Jesus knows how this needs to play out, he doesn't really cooperate with Herod. And Herod becomes frustrated, sends him right back to Pilate. So now here he is before Pilate. And he has this trial. And... Uh, well, we'll just go to the story. Now at the time, at, at the feast, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd anyone, uh, any, uh, to the crowd, any one prisoner whom they wanted. So if you think about, if you're a governor of Judea, the emperor in Rome, what he cared about was that you keep peace. If you had a lot of problems going on in your, in your providence, you were going to be ultimately, you were going to be relieved of that duty. And so one of the things that they did to keep peace with the Jews is they would release one of the Jews to them at the time of the feast. And we know that this was the time of the Passover. And so there were a lot of Jews there in Judea uh, to celebrate the Passover. And so it was a custom that he would do that. And it said... And, the, and there was a notable... I better read from the front because I can't really see that. <laughs> it's an age thing. And they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Now, uh, in the book of, of John, in the book of Luke, it's described as this was someone that was caught up in the insurrection. And that there was a murder as, as part of that insurrection. And these guys, including Barabbas, were guilty of that. And so uh, he was a notorious. In other words, he had a reputation for being a criminal. John describes him as being a robber. So you get an idea of who Barabbas was. So when they gathered, Pilate said unto them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? So again, Pilate doesn't see any fault in Jesus and he thinks that this is a slam-dunk decision, well, of course they'll pick to release Jesus. 
They won't want to release this scoundrel Barabbas. But that's not how it played out. For he knew that it was out of envy that he'd been delivered up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him, said, had nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried, but they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. I, used, I love to use this story uh, when I'm asked to lead the Lord's table because I think it, it's, a, it's a perfect illustration of Jesus, of one that was guilty being let free and one that was innocent having to pay for that crime. So you could actually say that this is probably the greatest human injustice in the history of the world. You have Barabbas who was a murderer, who was part of an insurrection, who was a robber, and as we would say, is he's, got a, he's got a rap sheet as long as my arm. Well, they're going to release this guy, and they're condemned Jesus. Not only was Jesus without sin, think about all the good he did. He healed all these people and, and relieved human suffering. And yet, when it came down to this moment, because the elders had stirred up the people, what did they decide to do? Release Barabbas. Greatest injustice that you could probably come up with. So who does Barabbas represent? Well, you probably know the answer to this one. It's you and I. Because we, even though we may not be criminals in the sense that we've committed horrible crimes against the state, we know that the rap sheet that God would have against us, the ledger of, of sins that we've committed, would be as big as this room. It would be enormous. So we, we, in a sense, we are Barabbas. And what Jesus did is he took our place. And he died and we were set free. But the interesting thing that I think here is that Jesus or God used the greatest human injustice to create the greatest heavenly justice because there was no other way. You see, God desired to have a relationship with you and with me. Now, why we'll never understand because something that is as mighty and as perfect as he is, why would he care about a relationship with us. Well, he shows us how much he cares and why he cares so much. Uh, he sends us free and he condemns his own son to, to die a death that was more cruel than we could imagine. Worse than you would, worse than, you know, if you were to be guilty of a crime today, 
There is nothing that the U.S. government, or as far as I know, any other government would do to you that was as horrible as the, the event of crucifixion. It was truly terrible. And it was designed, they were very good at it, in extracting pain. And the reason they did that is because they wanted others to see that and realize, hey, I don't want to go down that road. But Jesus died in our place in that way. So let's go to the second story. And the second story is the two thieves on the cross. Now, um, it says two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they were that there they, were, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So not only did Jesus go to be crucified, but there were two criminals that were led away with him. If you'll remember, there was a, there was a lot of... Uh, Jesus faced a lot of uh, ridicule, the people, the very people that he, had, uh, that he had done so much for to relieve their suffering, those that were gathered around, they were still reviling him. And the soldiers were reviling him. And he dealt with this. And so we find that one of the criminals, one of the criminals who were hanged there railed at Jesus also. So the criminals see this happening and one of them does this. And he begins to rail at him and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus... So this criminal turns to Jesus and says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, Truly I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Matthew's account doesn't really get into this whole story except to say that the thieves both reviled him. And so most, most uh, people that you will read, the experts on this will say, that the, the, uh, the one thief had a change of heart. Now, whether that's the case or not, or whether Matthew was recording it and just... You have to understand there's a purpose for each gospel, and the, the purpose of the gospel of Matthew was to show that, G, that Jesus was king of the Jews. So he might not have recorded... He didn't record this particular story. But Luke's purpose was to show that Jesus was the, the Son of Man, that he, was, that he indeed was a man. And so they, you see a lot of interactions in the book of Luke with people and, and taking care of, of people's needs. But whether you believe that this, this thief originally railed at Christ and then decided better of it or not, we find that one chose to accuse him and the other cho chose to to stand up for him. And think about how, how hard that was. No one else was doing this. Jesus was by himself. And this one thief 
who acknowledged his own guilt, stands up and says, well, he doesn't stand up, he's on the cross and he's suffering there. But he says, he says, this man's done nothing wrong. And then he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So I want us to look. There are three crosses. The first cross is the cross of rebellion. And in this cross, there's no admission of guilt. There's not a fear of God. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that have no fear of God, that don't believe that there is a God, or that if they believe there's a God, they believe that ultimately God is going to spare them no matter what they do in this world. And, that, and there are other people that believe that there are many, many avenues that you can take to get to God. Now, that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that he's the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. That's what he taught. This guy demanded to be saved from a condition of his own making. He had committed those crimes. He wasn't there for no cause. He was there because he had committed crimes. And Jesus says nothing to him. And as far as we know, he dies in his sins. And so then we have the second thief, the one that, the one that uh, repents. And so what about him? Well, he confessed that he was guilty. He acknowledged his wrongdoings. And he also expressed that Jesus was innocent had no business being there. He also expressed faith. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, as you probably know, there are a lot of people that use this story to say that baptism's not essential. They'll say, well, how about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized, and yet Jesus saved him. Well, there's, there's lots of things wrong with that argument. The first thing is that... Uh, Jesus hadn't died yet, and so the New Testament was not in effect. And so what, and, and Jesus had the power to forgive sins, and so I would submit to you that if you could get Jesus in the flesh to come to you and pardon you of your sins, that's a pretty good deal. I don't know if you'd need baptism, even today, if you were getting to do that. But since he's not here, you're probably going to have to follow the, the, uh, the prescription for sin that he has laid out in front of us, and that is baptism. And I don't want to get too far down this road because it's really not the path I'm trying to go. But this is one of the reasons this story is so well known is people go, well, what about the thief on the cross? He, he, was, he was saved and, and he wasn't baptized. But what did this guy know? He knew about this kingdom. And not only did he know it, he understood it better than his disciples did because his disciples, when Jesus was taken... They ran and fled, and they thought the whole thing was over. But this guy knew that there was a kingdom that was out there that he was going to inherit. And so he says to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's no question in my mind that he had heard the preaching of Jesus before and was probably baptized as many were. The other thing is we see is that he was, he was taken to paradise, and paradise is not heaven, but paradise is the place a resting place for the souls of the dead until the resurrection. And so I, I believe that, that to this point for sure there were no souls in heaven and I believe even today that those souls that were faithful rest there in paradise in waiting for the judgment. Now, I want you to understand it's a place of comfort. 
It's not a bad place to be. Jesus went to this place and it's called paradise. It's called Abraham's bosom. It's a place of comfort that was, that was a place for the souls to go of those who had been faithful under the old law and I believe also under the new law until the time of the judgment. So that's where he went. And then there was the cross of redemption. And we can say a lot of things about the cross of redemption and probably have a whole lesson on that, but uh, it's the only hope. It's the only hope. There, there wasn't another place to go. You think about the thief. Where else could he go? There wasn't another answer. There was nothing that was going to save his life in this world. The only thing that could, that could happen for him is to save him from an eternal damnation. This, this cross is a light in the darkness that is this world. And is the veil between man and the Father. You remember on the time when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that happened is the veil that was in the temple. And so the, the temple, there was two, two places in there. One of them was a holy place and the other was the most holy place. And the most holy place was a place that the Jews believed that God resided with them. And so that was, the, that was symbolic of heaven. Again, another type. But when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent, not from the bottom, as if a man were to tear it, but from the top to the bottom, as if God tore it. Because God did tear it. And he was signifying that the way to God was finally made available. Not through the bloods of bulls and goats, which had been what they had practiced before, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the only way that we could actually get there. Again, that perfect heavenly justice that was made, that was manifest in the worst crime or the worst decision of justice that you could possibly imagine. And so we have these three crosses. And I believe these three crosses represent all of mankind. Every single person that's lived under the New Testament. That you have a choice. You either choose Jesus or you don't. You know, there's not a fourth cross. Isn't that funny? There's not, a, there's not anybody else. There's not a fourth. Well, why not? Why aren't there 20 crosses? Why not have a fourth cross up there for the old boy that's a pretty good guy? You know, when, when Jesus is crucified here, he really didn't rail against him. He really didn't say, yes, I believe in him. He just kind of sat and watched. And he was a good neighbor, and he was generally a good guy. There's, no, there, there's none of that. See, there's no sitting on the fence. You get to pick one or the other. You get to pick a continuous life of rebellion, or you get to, to pick a life of submission and repentance. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And I believe in this, in this picture what he is showing us is that choice. So we have Barabbas because Jesus died instead of Barabbas. The thief had a choice. You ever think about that? That had they have released Jesus, the thief would have gone to the cross and would not have had Jesus to turn to. Couldn't have saved him. 
would have ended up in a completely different place. Jesus died for mankind to free us from, a sin, from the sins that we've committed that would condemn us, that would give us no hope. But it puts us to a choice. We have a choice to follow him or we have the choice not to. And it's not quite as simple as it was on the cross with, with the thief that said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Because not only do we need to profess that, we need to live that. You know, this man did not live beyond the cross. He died right there, and he was saved at the cross. You and I need to continually recommit ourselves and stand with Jesus because I believe we face the challenges of that every day. What are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to follow Jesus? Are we going to live a life of repentance and sorrow and submission to Him? Or are we going to live a life of rebellion? If we're honest with ourselves, I would probably guess that most of us would say that there's been times in our life that we would be on that cross. We were rebels. We, there was something we didn't want to submit to. There's something we had done that we weren't going to say I'm sorry for because in our hearts we really didn't feel sorry. So because Jesus died for mankind, today we have the choice. I hope this morning that you'll be like the uh, the first Christians, you know, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon there recorded in Acts chapter 2, and about verse 36, he gets to it and he says that Jesus, that God has set forth this Jesus as the Christ, whom you have killed, you have crucified him. And they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he told them they should repent and be baptized. Uh, this morning, if, if the church can help you, if, if you haven't been uh, immersed in baptism and you feel like it, you've been sufficiently taught and you understand that Jesus came and died for you, and we can help you in that way, we would love to do that. If you've fallen astray and you found yourself on that cross of rebellion and you need the prayers of the church, we would ask you to come forward as we stand together and we sing the song that's been selected.